Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we have Dr. Iona Heath, who's a retired GP from Kentish Town, and she talked to us after writing an editorial for the BJGP. Iona is certainly tremendously well known as a commentator and leader of general practice, and I think uh, her thoughts around the difficulties that we're going through at the moment are particularly valuable. I'll come back to that in just a moment. This is the last episode before Christmas, and I'm recording it on Monday the 13th of December. Now, I don't normally date stamp our podcasts, but I think it is particularly important at the moment, as it has become very clear in the past week that we're facing a large number of infections with the Omicron variant. There seems little doubt about that. And the NHS, all of us, in all its corners, have never been busier and under more pressure than we are at the moment. The modelling certainly suggests a difficult time ahead, although, of course, there's obviously a great deal of uncertainty around some of the numbers, particularly on hospitalisations and deaths. We can only hope for the best. We all know this, and I'm not going to linger on it. What I do want to do is wish you well for the holiday period. I sincerely hope you get a chance to get some kind of a break, that you find some kind of way to recharge yourself in the face of everything that's been happening over these past couple of years. It's not been easy uh, and it's not going to get easier for a while yet either. But I think that general practice is doing a phenomenal job in the face of it all. Look after yourself. It's the only way we can do it for other people and stay safe. We certainly plan to continue with the podcast over 2022 and beyond. And if you are enjoying the podcast and find it useful, then please do sign up via your phones or devices and subscribe via the usual channels. We'd be delighted to have you along with us. So back to Iona and her editorial. Now, the editorial was titled Rewilding General Practice. And in it, she's really managed to encompass a lot of big, different areas, important areas for development and the future of general practice. First of all, I asked Iona to talk a little bit about the current GP crisis and how it compares in her experience over many years to previous crises. GPs are always unhappy um, for good reason, because they reflect their patient's unhappiness. Martin... Evans um, used to get, gave one of the college lectures and said um, that uh, doctors are called to dissatisfaction. So I've complained about the state of general practice throughout my entire career and don't seem to have stopped. Now I've stopped practicing. But I think that the situation we're in now is probably unprecedented. And I feel really sad for my colleagues struggling on in what has become an an extremely hostile environment. I was hearing yesterday that the admin staff in my old practice have been leaving in their droves because of the degree of hostility they're having to uh, feel through the telephone. And I, I don't remember that ever happening before. Um, I think it's very hard for somebody like me who's been retired for 10 years um, to comment. Obviously, it hasn't stopped me, but I think I have to be very conscious that it's hard to do that without appearing to criticise and without invoking my rose-tinted spectacles and all that. Um, but I think the forces that are acting on general practice except COVID and the whole rise of, um, uh, what's the word? you know, empowered public health um, have been acting on general practice for a very long time. So the use of targets, 
the use of single solutions to um, to diagnoses as if they were a pure category. Um, the fact that doctors and patients both become widgets in the system that's supposed to be entirely interchangeable. No acknowledgement of the power of the therapeutic relationship, despite copious research pointing out its importance. Completely ignored uh, by policymakers um, because it makes it more difficult. Um, and then pan- the, the pandemic has just ratcheted that all up. Um, and this, uh, you know, the rise of the um, remote consultations and then first Hancock saying we all had to do it all the time. Uh, and then Javid being equally crude and saying, you know, you're going to have an incentive for doing the reverse. It's just so damaging and so difficult for people to keep on operating. And I I feel so bad for young doctors who, for the last nearly two years, have had the vast majority of their stuff on a telephone. I'm sure it means they'll be much better at telephone consultations than we ever were. But I think it probably means that they become more afraid of the face-to-face consultation. They become aware of the fact that they haven't been practicing their examination skills and therefore the temptation to go straight to investigations is very powerful, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's very interesting you mentioned the hostility and admin staff there. That's one of the some of the conversations I've been having with colleagues around the country and partners that actually it's one of the first things that I've heard them mention on several occasions is the loss of practice staff and people just being extraordinary. Those, those people in relatively low-paid admin roles so they can find other relatively low-paid admin roles as well, and they're yeah. just sick to death of the as you as you put it there the hostile environment. It's extremely challenging, and they we all know how the incredible work they do. There's probably a whole another discussion there as well around the the mischaracterization and demonization of reception staff, particularly in general practice. Absolutely, um, and I think you at the moment you have just have to have a particularly thick skin, and I think it's very hard for GPs who are under incredible pressure of fulfilling their clinical commitments to provide adequate support for staff who are being abused on a daily basis. Um, I don't know how, so that's supposed to work into their schedule. Um, And seeing the press and worse, the government just fueling it is is just sickening. Yeah. and I also, I think it's a very important point. I think we were in crisis before the pandemic. And it, as, as you say, it's just been a, it's been an amplifier, hasn't it? That's just really yeah. just pushed it, 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 pushed us over the edge of a cliff that perhaps we were teetering on to some extent. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about your, your editorial rewilding general practice. What's the, what's the concept here, Iona? What, and what's the message that you're trying to get across? Well, my, my, as I say in the editorial, my colleague um, and contemporary, Lynn Jenkins, who also retired GP, but from Oxfordshire, um, uh, uh, invited me to come in on a letter that he wrote, I think, to the Guardian um, about the need to rewild. Um, it's a it's a very topical feeling thing. Um, but my son is also an ecologist, trying to save, um, well, restore curlews. Um, so he's very interesting about rewilding, and the parallels then become very clear because he told me that the the basis of rewilding is is not to set targets for anything and particularly not to have fixed expectations. Just to tweak something 
and then carefully see what happens. So you, 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 you will do that, you will tweak on the basis of, of pre-existing experience and data evidence, um, but you won't assume you know what's going to happen because we got that wrong so many times in the past. Um, and you just you wait. You have to wait and see what happens before you tweak something else because otherwise you, you won't know what happens. And it, it struck me that the, the parallels with general practice are just huge because we haven't just been tweaked. We've been sort of coerced in every direction you can imagine without understanding, without policy understanding of what both patients and GPs in practice find important and helpful and useful. Um, so it just seems seems a useful concept. And it also, as I, I say in the editorial, it, it very helpfully ties together with the corruption of practice by, by policy insensitivity and crudity, really, um, with the corruption of research by the, the power of the medical industrial complex um, and then the um, destruction of the planet equally by trying to profiteer from natural resources. Um, so I, I, I think it kind of gives us a useful basis for thinking again because it becomes all about balance. Yeah, no, so three small issues you're tackling there, Iona, in this particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this in this editorial, I like the. I mean, I really like the analogy. I think it works incredibly well, and it will ring true with a lot of people. That the idea of general practice being this delicate ecosystem that you know we, you know, that if we treat clumsily and we disrespect and we approach with um, these kind of industrial kind of. Uh, medical industrial, and you mentioned the medical industrial complex. There, we, these approaches, we're going to damage and damage diversity, and we're going to damage how well it functions. Yeah, abs, abs, absolutely. Um, it's you know here here come my rosy tinted spectacles, but I'm actually going to go back to before I started my career. Arguably, the the golden age of British general practice was in the 1960s and the 1970s when it began to be properly resourced and we began to have academic departments and it kind of was taking off, but it was still underneath government's radar. And I remember that the college used to complain bitterly that that, that government only talked about hospital and never about general practice. What we didn't realise is that a lack of attention from policymakers and government gives a chance for things to to flourish actually for people to discover what works and what doesn't without the constant surveillance that contemporary practitioners are under um you know the 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 ruthlessness of the of the quaff directives and, and all that um so i think allowing things to flourish is something completely that has disappeared from from the health service. Just to just to, you know, let the thousand flowers bloom. I can't remember what that was about, but it hasn't been happening in general practice for a very long time. Um, yeah, indeed. Um, one thing I want to ask is, I know you you obviously just came into general practice certainly in Kentish Town in 1975. I think it was that you. So you would have just experienced some of the the tail end of that kind of perhaps golden period of the 1960s and 1970s. I, know that yeah, I came as a trainee in 1975, 
but Mrs. Thatcher came to power in 1979. So it wasn't really a very long experience. <laughs> Not a honeymoon in that regard. The, um, I must ask, yeah, I know that you're I know that you're wary about perhaps, now that you've retired, about offering practical solutions, but I, I did want to ask a bigger question, which is do you think that do you think the partnership model is the right way to go here? I know that that's kind of is that fundamentally um, a system that would enable the ecosystem of general practice to flourish? Or do you think that it needs to, you know, in terms of the big picture, how does that fit in? It is interesting, isn't it? I, 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 yes, I should definitely flag up that I think it's very difficult for me as an out-of-touch retired GP to comment on the current state without appearing to criticise and without being seen as uh, presumptuous and insensitive. And that's the last thing I want to be. I think the partnership model has has been very, very useful and I would be very wary about changing it. Um, the reason I would be wary about changing it is it does provide a little buffer between um, autocratic policymaking and, and the practice itself. Um, and, and I'm very interested in... Um, the state of general practice in Scandinavia. I have a lot of Scandinavian GP friends. And in Sweden, they have always had direct management of their uh, practices directly by health authorities. And each practice has a, a clinical manager. One of the GPs manages all the rest. It's not a very successful system. It's very hard to keep people motivated. It's very hard to innovate in that system. Now, Norway, as far as I understood it, has had a similar system, um, but they went for, um, they change shifted it so that they had lists. The Swedish system, there are no lists, you just share whoever comes in the door. Um, they, they went for lists and with uh, patients nominating which GP they wanted to be their own. Um, and it's not hierarchical. And these are the strengths of the partnership model, I think is that I think it has evolved. It, it was hierarchical originally with the senior partner notion. I think that's largely fallen into disuse. Um, and I think it's been very egalitarian and, and the potential for, for mutual support is great. I mean, not all practices function very well, but when they do function well, I think they're a fantastic working environment for, for general practice. So... I think it, we need to be very wary about just sweeping that away and thinking it'll all be solved if we all go salaried. Part of my worry about, um, now this is going to, you know, forgive me, somebody young. If what I think has happened is that the whole thing about guidelines, people have become, young doctors have become very afraid of deviating from the guidelines. That's one of the things that worries me. And I think. Some young doctors are also afraid of the responsibilities of partnership and being employers and, and being an employee seems a much simpler solution. But it comes at a price in terms of, of freedom, in terms of self-determination and autonomy. There's not much of it left, but what there is needs to be protected and built on, I would say.
but of course I'm out of touch so I'm not sure you're that out of touch at all, Iona. And I think um, I should draw attention at this point that we published a paper about continuity of care on the Norwegian named GP system just recently, which showed startling benefits or associations with continuity of care and the name GP and mortality, admissions to hospital and all sorts of impressive outcomes. My uh, my feeling is that um, the key here is actually GPs having control to provide services for the local community and to be able to deliver those and have some control over how those services are delivered is a key part of primary care and general practice. And I'm not sure how a system of salary GPs could necessarily accommodate that. And the partnership model does accommodate that quite well. So I don't think I'm particularly wedded to the partnership model as such, but I would be very wedded. I'd be very unhappy with a model which didn't offer people that freedom and that autonomy to deliver care as they needed. And actually, particularly these days, to get out from the under control of some of the diktats that come down from central government as well. And so at Absolutely. the moment, the partnership model, as delicate an ecosystem as, as it is, seems to me very hard to, um, it would be very hard to replicate the benefits of that in another way as it stands. I'd be prepared to look and consider them, but it would be, um, it'd be hard to imagine how else you would achieve them. Yes, can imagine how far Julian Tudor Hart would have got in Glyn Corrig if he'd just been a salaried employee of the health service. They'd have been able to clip his wings early on and we wouldn't have had any of those great insights from uh, that small village. Because no, you know, no patients alike, no practices alike, no doctors alike. You know, we have to get away from thinking that we can standardise everything and therefore predict results i mean it's just like the ecology that my son talks about if you if you treat every every environment the same and you don't think about the differences and you i mean that's the other real problem with where we've got is that we stop thinking you know measure of blood pressure it's high okay but i move into the nice guideline i don't need to think about this anymore i don't need to think about this particular person and what's important to them and are they going to get impotent and are they going to you know be too frightened to go to work or make love you know all this stuff um and i uh, i you know as i get old and deteriorate i want a doctor who thinks not a doctor who follows guidelines and, you know, it's, a, it's an intellectual profession. We, we lose that really. Yeah, indeed. Iona, I'm going to draw things to a close. Um, thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Bye.